the Lax Factor Podcast. What is up, College Lacrosse fans? You're watching another episode of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast. It's episode 158. Today, we got Syracuse and Notre Dame to talk about. We've got America East action. Big Ten tournament got flipped upside down. We even have some NEC stuff to talk about. Before I get into all of it, be sure to go to laxfactor.com. Support us that way. You can get t-shirts, hats, all sorts of swag. And then really, if you really want to just support us and you don't want to put up any money, just like and subscribe. It's that easy. Like this video, subscribe, share it with your friends. That's really all I ask of anyone as we try to grow this thing. We're over 9,500 subscribers now on YouTube, so that's pretty cool. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get into it. Syracuse scored a little. Notre Dame scored a lot. When a team comes out and plays Duke to one goal, they beat up UVA twice, then they get beat by seven or more goals multiple times against teams like Army, Notre Dame, UNC, and then to have what happened to Syracuse yesterday against Notre Dame, they got absolutely embarrassed in South Bend yesterday. Syracuse has a coaching problem. In the past, I was more than willing to credit Desco with all those one-goal wins at the Cardiac Cuse had won because winning one-goal games as a coach is tough, really tough. And this guy's a living legend. I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame. He's won national titles. But the Boo Birds and the Fire Desco crowd, there's been this little birdie in the back of my ear saying, hey, maybe they didn't win all those one-goal games because of Desco. Maybe they won those one-goal games despite, you know, a lack of inspiration, a lack of, you know, fire given to them. Because in, in a lot of those one-goal games, Syracuse would come out, underperform in the first half. They would then make adjustments at halftime and come out, and the Syracuse magic would kick in in the second half. Syracuse would end up winning those games. But maybe the problem in those games was that they didn't come out and play with fire from the beginning of the game. Maybe the problem was that they had to make those halftime adjustments because they weren't properly uh, uh, attacking these teams or defending these teams over the first half of that game. I'm starting – I've been more fair to Desco than I think anybody else – that talks about lacrosse out loud into a microphone or, you know, that types things out uh, with ink. Uh, but the, like I said, that voice in the back of my head is starting to wonder if maybe some of the, if maybe the boo birds and the fire desco crowd, maybe there's something to that. Uh, why do I think that? And like I said, the years of cardiac cues, you know, you'd see them underperform early in a game and they would come back and they would usually win those games that they were underperforming in. And that's kind of where that cardio cues thing came from. It's like they just kept coming back from behind, winning games by one goal. But maybe maybe it's the the lack of, of inspiration and the lack of prep leading into those games. It's the reason they end up being so close in the first place. I don't know. That's that's a really hot take and maybe a harsh take, but it's I'm just speaking honestly here. Uh, now we definitely have less so-called talent than we used to have. So from a recruiting standpoint, that's not all on the Syracuse staff. The talent is getting spread out. My problem, though, is that we're losing talent to other teams oftentimes after we already get that talent. You know, so we've had a lot of kids commit and then ditch and go other places. We've had a lot of kids commit and then ditch and go to conference foes. So the the recruiting thing has been a problem for a while. All of us former fan, all of us longtime fans and then the alumni and all that, they've been chirping the recruiting issues for quite some time now. But I feel like that that lack of talent now, where now we're starting to get a little bit further removed from the old days where Syracuse could still win players over because of the brand, now that talent thinning, I think it's starting to maybe uh, cause some of the holes in Desco's coaching abilities to kind of stick out a little bit more, especially in this season here, where all of the other ACC teams got a lot better. We retained our roster, and we were, we were, we were as good this year, in theory, as we were last year. 
but we the, all the other ACC teams just won like crazy in the transfer portal uh, because of COVID, and, and we just didn't, and we haven't been able to keep pace, and now we look like the worst team in the ACC despite beating Virginia twice. So I'm wondering how much of that is playing into it, how much of that is, is the coach, how much of that is, uh, is the, the game maybe starting to get away from these guys a little bit. Uh, you know, so in the past though, Desco inherited Powell, you know, and then he had Mike Powell after that. And, you know, after that, after the Mike Powell years, things started kind of tailing off a little bit. The only thing that was good. And the only reason I never joined the fire Desco crowd from there was because we still won games in terms of the regular season. Cuse over the last 10 years has been as good as anybody in the country. The problem is they're not performing in the tournament. They've been having Syracuse level regular seasons for these last 10 years, this being the worst so far regular season we've had in quite a while. But the once they get into the tournament, I don't think they've made it past the second round in the tournament since they lost to Duke in the finals in 2011 or 2013 or 2009, whenever the hell that was. So I feel like I'm starting to wonder now, Is did, did Desco, has Desco had so much success at Syracuse partly because of the brand? How much has the brand played into it, giving him the players that he would need to just be better than most teams that they play. But then come tournament time, those teams have not been battle tested and they have not been good enough to get past that second round. And that's, that's been what's plaguing Syracuse over the course of the last, the last decade. So, I mean, sometimes when your team plays poorly and when your team plays totally inconsistent and when you get your dicks kicked in the way that Syracuse did yesterday, that is a coaching problem, all right? We, that is a coach and a coaching staff that is not doing a good job preparing their players for that matchup. Now, if they had lost to Notre Dame by six or seven again, I would just say, ah, eh, sometimes you just don't match up with teams well. Obviously, Virginia doesn't match up well with Syracuse, but they match up well with everybody else you know, for the most part that they played this year. So you could kind of make the argument that sometimes it is just a matchup issue. And even with a good coaching plan or a game plan, you're not going to to win that game still. That was not what happened yesterday. Those Syracuse kids looked lost. They didn't look like they gave up. They just looked like they didn't know what the hell to do at times. And they just continued to get their dicks kicked in right through the end of that ball game. It was painful to watch. I felt bad for the players and I was angry at the coaching staff by the end of it, as, as you can now see because of my rant. So I feel like Desco is – and then couple all, couple just the team's play, which is what I focused on so far, with the early season COVID issues with the possible suspensions. That happened when Desco was the head coach. If, if, if those players had gotten suspended in the end, that would have up, upended this entire season. Syracuse would have been the hands-down hands worst team in the ACC, and they might have finished under 500 if we had got, if a couple of those players had gotten suspended. And, I mean, as a head coach, that happens under your watch. That is your fault. And then we have a team underperformed through the year. Now we end up having Scanlon's issues here. Scanlon, a huge recruit by Desco. Scanlon had known issues coming from Loyola to Syracuse, the coaching staff pretty much said bye-bye and they closed the door behind him and they were all high-fiving by the sounds of it now as things are starting to come out here. He, uh, his teammates were chirping him on his way out of Loyola. So all of us Cuse fans were pumped because we were, the, the coaching staff was doing such a terrible job uh, in a recruiting from a recruiting standpoint, bringing in high-quality freshmen to, to be able to keep pace with the ACC. Picking up Scanlon was a huge win. We, we were willing to look past all the Loyola crap, and we were just hoping that this, this was just a, a disgruntled kid that didn't like where he was, and even if he ruffled feathers wrong, we were going to make it work in Syracuse. And now you have the shit show that has ensued with the, with the potential domestic 
dispute or whatever you would call it, the, the domestic incident with Scanlon. Scanlon's camp is pretending they don't even know what's happened, which is kind of unforgivable because even if he's innocent, you know what happened. You know why he got suspended. You know why uh, he's having these issues, even if he ends up being vindicated in the end to pretend like nothing happened. I mean, we've all seen the pictures of the wall. We've all heard the rumors of what happened. So to pretend like they literally have no idea, that's very disingenuous. So I know that this is a tough thing for Desco to handle, but he has not handled it well, in my opinion. Not that anyone would be able to do a better job. What do you do? You can't talk about it publicly because they'll get sued and uh, and he'll lose his job. And then you not talking about it pisses all the fans off. So to be sure, he's got a crappy deal on his hands this year, but he, as the head coach, he's the one who dealt himself his own hand and now he's got to live with it. So I am not joining the Boo Birds, but there is definitely a coaching problem. There is definitely a disconnect between this coaching staff and these players. You can put it and, and say both of them own it uh, individually. You know, the players are at fault a little bit for not playing consistent lacrosse. And, uh, and, and I, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't bash them for their effort yet, but then you got to put it on the coaches too for just having a terrible game plan going into that Notre Dame game in a game that they really needed to at least show well, and they didn't. So that's it. I'm going to stop talking about that. There was nothing good about that game. Kavanaugh, 5-5, five and five, trashed on Syracuse. That dude's an animal. Liam Entman played really well in cage. The Notre Dame defense, just as good as advertised. I like that FOP rebounded a little bit and he looked better, uh, but that Notre Dame defense is ridiculous and they just kicked Syracuse's ass all over that field. So credit to Notre Dame uh, for beating them and picking up a huge win, but you know Syracuse totally just played an absolute stinker of a game there. Let's move on. Let's get into the Big Ten action here. We've got Johns Hopkins and Penn State. They did battle. Michigan and Hopkins, they're supposed to be in the basement of the big, but it was Penn State and Ohio State yesterday that earned those honors thanks to the Big Ten, allowing all of the teams to participate in the conference tournament, which is kind of lame. Michigan picks up their first win in the Big Ten conference only because of COVID and they expanded the field to include everybody. But hey, good job for Michigan there. But let's get back to this. Hopkins, they waxed Penn State on Saturday, 15 to 7. Hopkins hadn't won a game since March 13th. And they've looked good at times uh, in, in for periods of almost every game they've played this year. They just couldn't pick up that W. Had to get a drink. But this was a totally different Hopkins team. They scored on 44% of their possessions, overcame a 9 of 24 faceoff disparity by clearing the ball a perfect 24 of 24, and they got a uh, production up and down their roster all the way through. They even got three points out of their second midline that's all freshmen, including Grimes, who had a goal in the game. Connor DeSimone, he puts up three goals and three assists. And uh, Cole Williams goes for four goals in the win. <clears throat> Connor DeSimone had a filthy bounce shot. I think it was in the first half where he bounces one about be halfway between him and the cage. And it goes up, hits the upper 90, hits the pipe underneath the goal. And I heard a lot of pipes. I watched a bunch of games and I watched a bunch of highlights. I don't remember hearing this many pipes and this many games. Like it, the Notre Dame-Cuse game, Notre Dame was stinging pipes. Hopkins was stinging pipes. Pipes galore all over. When you look down the line, Hopkins shot the ball extremely well in this game. DeSimone, three goals off six shots. Williams, four goals off seven shots. Degnan, three goals off five shots. So in terms of offensive efficiency, that boosted Hopkins' chances here. And then couple that with the fact that their defense did a great job of tracking and marking Mac O'Keefe. All game long, held him to two goals and a helper. All game long, uh, that's, a winning, that's a winning recipe 
for Hopkins as well. Should I say all game long one more time, maybe? Hopkins, they get Rutgers up next in the big semis. Penn State will be forced to watch the semis. And uh, yeah, Penn State's going to have to watch these semifinals take place on their field uh, because the semis will be held at, what is it called, Panzer or whatnot. And uh, Penn State is not playing. So that's going to sting for them. I think that's happened to them before also. So that's it. Great game for Hopkins. And they move on. They were one of the worst teams in the Big Ten this year. And now they get to advance to the semifinals and Penn State gets to stay home. Michigan beats Ohio State 15-11. Now, this one wasn't all that close, even though Ohio State threatened on a few occasions. Michigan, they jumped out to a three-goal lead about halfway through the first, only to see Ohio State totally erase that and tie things up at threes. So it, it kind of went back and forth early. They exchange a couple of goals. Then uh, Michigan goes on a run. They take a 7-4 advantage. Later in the game, they had a 9-5 advantage, and they never really looked back again after because every time Ohio State rung the bell, Michigan would answer. Is it rung the bell, ring the bell, ringed the bell? We may never know which one is grammatically correct, unless you tell me in the comments down here. Um, I always miss this guy's name up, but John Kirasofi or Kirakofi, goalie for Michigan. He played well, making 13 stops, finished the game with 54% save percentage. Nick Rowlett did a really good job of tying up Justin Inacio at the faceoff dot, which helped greatly in keeping Michigan in control of this game. If, if they let... Um, Inacio and Tarafanko take over at the faceoff dot. It's all over for them, but they didn't. They hung. I think it was about 50, 48 for Michigan percent and then 52% or so for, for um, Ohio State. Michigan's done a really good job of developing guys that aren't named Josh Zawada this year, and that's a big reason why they got this win. Zawada's their standout. He was quiet, just a goal and a helper, but Michael Bohm, he goes for three goals and a helper, and Bryce Clay goes for two goals in addition to win, so Michigan got at least one point from 12 different guys. The dumb quote of the week comes from Michigan's winning coach, Kevin Conroy. He actually called the Big Ten, and I quote, the best lacrosse conference in the country, which is provably false on many levels. A, this season, especially the Big's not even close. The ACC has three teams in the top five and all five teams in the top eight. The Big Ten has Maryland at number one, so hey, that's good for them. But Rutgers at number nine, and then nobody else ranked beyond that. The America East has three teams ranked. I think the Patriot League has three teams ranked. So to call the Big the best conference in lacrosse. I'm hoping it was tongue in cheek and he was kind of joking and just taking a shot at the other leagues. But that was the dumbest thing I heard yesterday, especially because it's like the worst team on a lacrosse, the worst player on a lacrosse team who didn't play a single minute all season. Now talking shit to these other teams that they beat because his team's better, even though he didn't play because Michigan wouldn't even have been in the big 10 tournament this year if it wasn't for COVID. So, so that's why I kind of thought that was silly that the, the, uh, the coach of the traditionally worst team in the conference was popping off about how the conference is the toughest in the, in the country. So that's it. That's all my, that's my rant on that. Next up for Michigan is Maryland and may God be with them because Maryland is a really good lacrosse team. Air Force and Richmond. We got some SoCon action here to talk about. Air Force, they've struggled this year. Struggled a little bit. Not Saturday against number 15, Richmond. Richmond had already locked up the one seed in the SoCon tournament. High Point and Jacksonville were doing battle yesterday to try to see who got the, the two seed in the SoCon tournament. And uh, they battled that out. But that fourth spot was up for grabs. And I don't know the exact matrix and the mind-numbing math that went into who was going to get that fourth spot. I only know that by beating Richmond, Air Force ended up getting that top spot. It looked like Mercer may have still had a win and they get in. 
over Bellarmine, but they lost to Bellarmine. So in the end, Air Force ends up getting that top spot. And they will face in the tournament, wait for it, Richmond in the first round of the SOCON tournament uh, on May 5th, Wednesday. A rematch like uh, like this is exactly what we needed smack dab in the middle of the week here also. Now, how this game specifically played out, though. Air Force, they took an early 2-0 lead. Richmond answered, tied things up. Richmond grabbed the lead for a minute. Air Force took it back and then extended it to 8-5 at one point late in the fourth. Uh, and then at this game's pace, it's like, oh, this game's over. But Richmond, they'd battle back. Tyler Schultz scored with 6-13 left in the fourth. And then Richie Connell tallied two goals just 11 seconds apart between 4-0-4 left in the fourth and the 3-53 marks in the fourth quarter. Uh, Brendan Krause scored the game winner for Air Force just 23 seconds later from a Matthew O'Rourke feed. And then that was the ball game. It was a total team affair for Air Force. Aiden Tolan and Ethan Grandolfo, they each go for two goals and a helper. Player of the game in my book in this game here, Quentin Carlisle, Air Force defender. He had five cause turnovers, five ground balls, and an assist in this win. Jason Rose made a crazy 18 stops on the day for Air Force. Some might say, hey, give it to Rose, the goalie, who made 18 stops, but I can't. I already wrote down that it was going to Carlisle, so Carlisle gets the game ball in my book. Can't give out two game balls. That would be lame. Richie Connell put up a valiant effort on his side with five goals off nine shots in this loss. Jack Rustbolt had a down day. He stopped just 43.8% of the shots he faced. <clears throat> and uh, that wasn't good enough here for Richmond, but... Russ Bolt is a solid goalie. He's 51.6% on the season. Richmond's played a fairly brutal non-conference schedule, so I like Richmond and Russ Bolt to bounce back from this loss, and they're going to beat Air Force on Wednesday in the rematch because Richmond is a really good lacrosse team. They're battle-tested, and they're going to be a little bit pissed off and salty because they lost this regular season finale. Now we got some CAA action to talk about. Drexel beats Towson 12 to 11. They get a big day out of Jack Mulcahy, who went for three goals and a helper, including the game winner with just 11 seconds left in regulation to lift ranked Drexel over rival Towson on Saturday. Towson controlled the bulk of this game overall as Drexel found themselves down 6-2 at the half. And then at one point late in the third quarter, Drexel was down 9-5. Drexel needed to score six goals over the game's final 12 minutes to keep pace and eventually take the lead in this one. That momentum didn't come or that moment didn't come until 4:18 left in the game when Luke Tomac scored an unassisted goal, giving Drexel their first lead of the game. It was short-lived, though, as uh, Carson Greger scored with 2:58 remaining to tie the game back up at 11s. But alas, I already told you how this one ended, so you already know Drexel won. Jack Mulcahy scores with 11 ticks left. Drexel picks up the huge win in their regular season finale. Drexel's Jimmy Coita won 14 of 26 draws against Towson's Joey. Chestnut, which is just an awesome lacrosse name, or if you ate food and hot dogs for a living, it would be an awesome name for that too. In addition to Mulcahy's four points, Reed Bowering put up three goals off just four shots for Drexel in the win. And Drexel overall has put together a, a nice season. They dropped their first two games against Delaware and UMass, both by margins. They kind of, kind of got beat by, I think it was six and one and like eight or nine in the other. So they kind of got their crap kicked in in their first two games. They start 0-2 to, you know, two terrible conference losses since those two losses they have not lost again <clears throat> and their win streak includes revenge wins against Delaware and UMass they lost to both of those teams early on they come back and beat them later in the season they also beat I think Hofstra and Towson over that stretch as well Drexel will take on UMass Thursday in the CA semis 
or CAA semis, which will be televised on LSN, free for all. And then the other CAA semi will be Delaware against Hofstra. Both of those will be Thursday on LSN. America East, not to be outdone. Hold on. Not to be outdone. The America East Conference had another big game. And I don't think this one did anything for like getting a team in or out, but it might have played into the positioning. I can't remember. But uh, it was uh, less, there wasn't as much on the line in this game for sure. Vermont led this one at the half, 8 7. They had a decent lead for most of the first half. Stony Brook kept battling back, and at one point in the third and at another point in the fourth, they had actually gotten themselves a lead. Uh, but like the Seawolves refused to give up early, the Catamounts pulled the same shit on Stony Brook. They battled back from two goals down early in the fourth and won this game on a Liam Lamogues goal with zero time left on the clock. We had ourselves a veritable shot. Uh, what what would you call it? Like a, a, a win at the buzzer for Vermont. And the crazy part was, if you watch the game, is they score the goal off the faceoff. Um, Burke wins the faceoff. He had a really good game. Burke ended up going... What do my notes say here? Uh, I got to get down. I I have a bunch of notes, but yeah, Burke played well. Anyway, buzzer beater. And all the players were huddled around the cage and around the refs waiting to hear it. And it it took like 15 to 20 seconds for the refs to decide and finally give them the that's a goal signal. And the entire bench for, for Vermont had already cleared and was standing right next to the officials waiting for them to make that call so they could celebrate. David Klosterman had himself a game for Vermont. He puts up six goals and three dishes in the win. The kid goes for two goals and two assists over the game's final 10 minutes, uh, which was huge. Stony Brook was up by two goals early in the fourth. Klosterman scored a goal at the 10-18 mark and then another one at the 8-40 mark to tie things up at 12s. Then he assisted Thomas McConvey's goal with 4-11 left to give Vermont a one-goal lead. Chris Pickle, Tom Hahn, they'd hook up for Stony Brook to tie things back up with just eight seconds to play in this game. Stony Brook tied it up. Looks like we're going to overtime, but nope. Burke, he would win the ensuing faceoff. Vermont netted themselves that crazy game-winning goal at the buzzer with zero time left on the clock. The win gives UMBC and Vermont a share of the regular season America East title. Burke won 22 of 29 draws in this game. Uh, Vermont and Stony Brook, oddly enough, they're just going to turn around and rinse and repeat here. They're going to play for a third time this season on Thursday in the America East semis. UMBC is going to take on Albany in the other America East semi game. And then big news, big news, big news for the America East is that the championship game for that conference will be televised on ESPNU on Saturday. Now you can watch on like AETV or whatever they're called. Both of the, the semifinal games will be free for anyone. Go to Inside Lacrosse's calendar and there's always a link to the web streams there. Great, great resources. The Inside Lacrosse calendar that shows you all of the games on any given day for D1 all the way through. So as you're trying to find streams for these conference tournaments, most of them will all be streamed free. It'll only be the ones that end up being on like ESPN, ESPN plus or something like that, that you might not get, or the, uh, the big 10 games I think are going to be on, you know, cable and crap. So you'd be able to watch those too. Another game here. Now we've got a crossover non-conference game here. We got a Patriot team against the big East team, uh, Lehigh and Villanova. And this one was a huge surprise because not only did Villanova beat Lehigh, which I didn't see coming, they waxed them 16, eight, they put it on them. Even crazier, Nova got that easy win despite Mike Sisselberger winning 20 of 22 of the faceoffs. 
So Villanova has a huge possession disparity that they had to overcome at the faceoff dot. Still won this game by a margin. I'm not sure I remember a game where a team won 20 and 22 draws and then still got beat by eight goals. Nova played incredible defense. They limited Lehigh's scoring chances overall. They made stops where they needed them. So hell of a job by Villanova on the defensive side of the ball. Colin Crowley paced for, uh, Villanova with four goals and a dish, and Lehigh didn't have a player on their roster that had more than two points. So a valent, uh, valiant uh, uh, defensive effort by Villanova in this one. Nova, they're going to take on Georgetown in the Big East semis on Thursday. Denver is going to face Providence in the other conference semifinal game. Nova lost to the Hoyas 16-1 to to open their season up. They rebounded and only lost by a goal in their second meeting against the Hoyas. Same thing happened with Villanova and Denver. Villanova got beat by the Pios 17-10 their first time around, and then they only lost by a goal against Denver in a stunner less than a week ago. So this win over Lehigh, it could mean trouble for the Big East foes heading into the tournament. And there is a small part of me that's hoping that Villanova beats Georgetown. The Georgetown fans have gotten a little bit uppity in a couple of the groups that I'm in. They are really hyped up about Georgetown, despite the fact that Georgetown has played the weakest schedule by far out of any team that's in the top 20, especially in the top 10. Top 10, forget about it. Georgetown's schedule is hot trash compared to theirs. But so there's a small part of me that hopes Villanova beats Georgetown. And then there's a very good chance that Georgetown does not get an at-large bid out of the Big East, I think, if they get beat in the conference tournament by Villanova. But it'll be a little bit hairy here. So that's how that's rolling out. So in that tournament here, as we're looking at the – because we're talking about Lehigh here, we're going to go into the Patriot League tournament and how that's going to play out first is Colgate is going to play Boston U – on Tuesday and Navy is going to play Loyola on Tuesday. So that's the quarterfinal round for the Patriot League tournament. Friday, their Lehigh is going to host the semis. Lehigh will play the winner of the Colgate Boston U game and Army is going to play the winner of the Navy and the Loyola game with the championship game being played on Sunday. So that's how the Patriot League is going to come out. I still like Lehigh. I don't like this loss because that's a that's a kind of eye opening that they got waxed that badly. But I still Sisselberger is crazy. Lehigh does everything well. They play good enough defense. They play good enough offense. They have a solid keeper, and they've got Sisselberger just dominating faceoff draws for them. So I still like Lehigh to come out of the Patriot. NEC news: We have Hobart fourteen twelve over Sacred Heart on Saturday. Ryan Archer he goes for four goals and three helpers in the win. Hobart will take on Bryant in the NEC semis on Wednesday. And in the other NEC semi, we have St. Joseph's taking on LIU. These are going to be great games. Now, you've heard a lot of people talking about how some of these lower conferences have been doing serious battle this year. This is one of those conferences. Hobart beat Bryant 11-10 in their only regular season meeting. So that's going to be an obvious rematch in a conference tournament. St. Joe's beat LIU 14-13 a little over a week ago. So St. Joe's is by far, I think, the most battle tested team in the NEC as they've played Towson, Delaware, and Army out of conference. So they're my pick to win this tournament still, but it's still anyone's at this stage. I mean, any one of these teams could win this tournament and get the bid, and there will not be two teams, I don't think, going in from the NEC. I think the winner of this tournament is the only team that gets in. Another game worth mentioning here is just because I wanted to talk about Robert Morris. Robert Morris has been an interesting case here this year. They beat Utah 15-12, and I've become a huge fan of Robert Morris's mentality that they're willing to be that team that will play anyone 
anywhere. More often than not, that results in them playing odd games, sometimes really tough games on the road. They played at Duke, lost 16-12, and played a very good game. They followed that up with playing at High Point, lost 21-15, to didn't play any defense in that one, but still, they played at High Point. They played at Colgate, won 17-14 in a close one. They played at Notre Dame, lost 19-7 in their worst performance of the year after uh, four games. That dropped them to 1-3. and three. Then they won at Air Force by a goal. That got them back to 3-3 three and three after they beat up like VMI or someone trashy. Um, they, lost to, they lost at Virginia, 14-12. But damn, 14-12 against a very good Virginia team. That's not bad on the road nonetheless. They lost at Drexel who we all now know Drexel's a very legit lacrosse team, but they lost that one 19-13. So they've ended up playing the ACC teams that they've played or some of the bigger teams they've played better than some of those lesser teams they played. And uh, yeah, that, it's just crazy. They won at Jacksonville by a goal. Uh, you know, Again, Jacksonville's not bad. They won at Bucknell by a goal. They won yesterday at Utah. Next up, they proved that they really are willing to play anyone anywhere in adding Syracuse late in the season, so they're going to play at the Dome here in their next game. If they're going to have any chance at making the tournament, they're going to have to beat Syracuse, but I, I think even if Robert Morris were to beat Syracuse, they would probably not get in the NCAA tournament. Their RPI is just not going to be high enough, <clears throat> I think, overall, and I think they have a couple of bad losses. Next up, they prove – oh, oops, nope. But then, I mean, you look at Robert Morris and what they've done and why I am such a fan of theirs is when you look at what they've done compared to a team like Georgetown who live by the opposite mantra. Georgetown's uh, mantra is we won't play anyone of quality in an effort to boost our win-loss record and then get into the NCAA tournament. That's pretty much what Georgetown's been doing. That's why I get annoyed with Georgetown. So I really respect what Robert Morris and Coach Andrew, Andrew McMinn have put together. They're really as blue-collar and ballsy as teams get. They're willing to travel. They're willing to risk getting their dicks kicked in, except more often than not, they hang, man. These MFs hang, and they play good lacrosse. So big fan of Robert Morris in that light. Now, let's talk about a couple of other games just quickly here. We did have High Point play one. Let's open that up here. Um just making sure I didn't forget. Lafayette Navy played a tough one, 14-10, but like I said, that that doesn't matter much. Navy is in the Patriot League tournament, though, so that's good for them here. But yeah, the only other game of note really yesterday was High Point and Jacksonville. High Point beat Jacksonville 16-11, which means High Point gets the two seed, Jacksonville gets the three seed, and I believe they just end up, they turn around and they probably have to play each other again next week. The difference is going to be where it's played. Uh, Hunter Vines, 3-2. and two. Braden Maia had a great game, 5-0. and oh. Kevin Rogers, 3-1. and one. Asher Nolting, 0-3 oh in that win. And uh, Jacksonville, though, seven and six. I mean, they got a shot. That The SoCon tournament, I was thinking it was all Richmond's, but now I'm starting to wonder, you know, it's just the way the day lines up, Richmond could still get upset in this tournament, and we could see someone who's not Richmond win this tournament and get the bid. That'll be interesting if that does happen, uh, is what will blah, 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 blah. All right, that's it, guys. I mean, we've got North Carolina and Duke at four today, and then UMass Lowell and Binghamton at seven. No one cares about the UMass Lowell and Binghamton game because it is meaningless because neither of those teams are in their conference tournament uh, because they both stink. So we're not going to worry about that one. North Carolina at Duke. Again, it, the, only, the only thing that matters in this Carolina-Duke game is jockeying for NCAA tournament uh, seeding because if Duke beats North Carolina, Duke will be the number one seed in the NCAA tournament, I believe. If North Carolina beats Duke, 
I think assuming Maryland wins their conference tournament, which I think they will, then I think Maryland ends up getting to one seed in the tournament. But I think that Duke will get it with a win over North Carolina. North Carolina beats Duke. Then you're going to see Maryland at number one, assuming they win their conference. And then you'd see Duke and North Carolina kind of fill in behind them. So that's it. This has been a long one here. I've rambled a lot. I think it's probably not a very good episode. Uh, let me know in the comments how you think I did. I was a little bit hungover and a little bit tired. And uh, if I did poorly, I'm going to blame it on that. Although I am the coach of this thing, so I guess I have to eat all the shit at the end of the day. I will own that responsibility of sucking today. So as always, be sure to like, subscribe, go to laxfactor.com, get yourself some swag. I will be back on Wednesday to really preview the crap out of the tournament games that are coming up by Wednesday. We'll, we'll have a couple of tournament games that have been played. I think the, a couple of them we'll play on Tuesday. So we'll talk about those games that went down, and then we'll talk about the games coming into the weekend. And then come Sunday, man, we're, we're starting to get really deep into the bracketology because by Sunday, some of these games are going to uh, – these conference tournaments are going to be done and decided, and we're going to really start being able to figure out where do we think these seedings are going to uh, end up. So that's it. I'm out. Hoost is out. <laughs>